there's a three, four-year-old um, boy named Matthew, and his mom had um, kind of caved to his wishes, uh, allowed him to have his friend Luke over for a play day. However, things did not go very well. Um, Matthew had an attitude because, you know, when Luke wanted to play with his toys, uh, that was not always looked at as a, a good thing in Matthew's eyes. And so Matthew's mom had taken about all she could take. And so she decided she was going to put the boys down for a nap. So she put Luke in one room, and as she was carrying her son, Matthew, to his room, she said, Matthew, look, son, Luke is one of your best friends, and you are treating him terribly. To which Matthew responded, well, mom, sometimes I'm just mean, and sometimes I'm not, but I'm just like you and dad. Mm. Out of the mouth of babes. We teach peacemaking folks through how we interact with others. Our words and actions are absolutely important. And how we act and what we say and how we go about the things of our day well, others will look at us and determine mm, a lot of things. In 1935, General Douglas MacArthur um, made this statement. He said, in the last 34 years, I'm sorry, for in the last 3,400 years, there has only been 268 years of peace. Think about that. 3,400 years, 268 years of peace. I want to give you a much, um, it's a greater statistic, but it's also one that I think is even much sadder. Since 1945, the world has only seen 26 days without war. Think about that, folks. 26 days. Someone once said, peace is a glorious moment in history when everyone stops to reload. I've got to wonder what the disciples and others were thinking on the side of the mountain as Jesus was teaching. We are in the midst of this Sermon on the Mount series, and we're in the Beatitudes, and uh, we have covered uh, six of those Beatitudes thus far, and we are going to look at the seventh one today. But you got to think, on the side of that mountain, as, as Jesus is going to say these words, and I'll read this passage in just a minute, but you got to think, you know, one of the disciples there was Simon, who was a zealot. And, and he was a freedom fighter. He, he believed that liberation was the way to go, to fight our way clear of Roman's dominance, uh, the Roman dominance of the time. How about Matthew? Matthew is a, a tax collector. And here Matthew had bought into, in some way, the philosophy of the Romans. 
he treated people a certain way. He, he led by what they told him to do. And now he's sitting on the side of the mountain with Jesus. James and John, well, they called for Jesus to rain down fire from heaven because Jesus couldn't go through this particular town that he wanted to go through. You know, they were called the sons of thunder probably for a good reason. And then you had Peter, good old Peter. Peter hid a sword under his robe, carried it around with him. How do we know that? Well, you know, coming out of the garden and Jesus' arrest, he pulls that sword out and cuts the centurion's ear off. I mean, think about it. These are just ordinary Joes. They're just like us. They had lived their life in a particular type of industry. Many of them were fishermen. Others were, uh, you know, doing the things of the day. Were they peacemakers? Probably not in many ways. Maybe they lived at peace in some ways. But then Jesus, in verse 9 of Matthew 5, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wow. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would hold for each of us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, blessed are the peace lovers. He didn't say that. Nor did he say, blessed are the peaceable. He didn't say that. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. In other words, blessed are those who make peace, who make it about themselves to go about actively seeking to resolve conflict. Why would Jesus add this to the Beatitudes? Maybe it's because it's exactly what his father did. The Heavenly Father who resolved the conflict that exists between himself and humanity that was caused by sin. This was what our Father, our Heavenly Father, did. Taking care of that causing peace to be an option, re, uh, reconciling us back to himself. And he did this through giving his son. Through his death and resurrection, the Heavenly Father now says to us, you can have peace together. You can be reconciled back to me. I have provided a way for you to reconnect. Romans 5.10 reads, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in the second chapter. If you read verses 13 through 16, you will hear these words. That Jesus demolished the wall that separates us from God through the blood he shed. Thus making peace. And so we are peacemakers when we actively seek.
to bring about reconciliation. God has reconciled us, and he is calling us to be reconciled to one another. But before we go further, we need to clear up some misconceptions. A couple of misconceptions concerning peacemaking. The first is that it's not to be an avoidance. So often when we see conflict, we run from it. We don't want to have a part of it. We want to hide from it. Um, we, we see this problem and we pretend it doesn't exist or we push it to the side or we avoid getting in, in uh, some type of uh, intervention. We just put it off. And what happens is when we do the avoidance side, it just becomes bigger. It becomes more prominent. And so, it's not about avoidance. And then secondly, it's not about appeasement. When we give in and and let others have their way, when it comes to truth issues, that is not the way to handle conflict. When we allow someone to run over us, when... We allow someone to push us down. God is not saying, Jesus is not saying that we're to become roadkill to be peacemakers. Jesus stood up for the rights. He stood up for the truth. And he did it righteously. We are called to speak truth in love. And so it doesn't mean appeasement. It means how are you going to go about bringing about This peacemaking, how are you going to live peacefully? Peacemaking doesn't mean tolerating wrong or sin, but actively seeking reconciliation in righteousness. In righteousness. Jesus lived in righteousness, wholeness, rightly living without sin, Now, we're not without sin, but we are called to a life without sin. We are called to live peacefully, to live righteously, to live holy. Do you remember, as we've gone through these Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the gentle. And I said these Beatitudes, the first four and the last four, hook up together. And here, this particular one, the seventh one, is linked with blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. This is what we are called to be in Jesus Christ. So why should we want to be peacemakers? Well, I think probably the first one would be because of God and who we are and whose we are, but there are outcomes that take place if we have these unresolved conflicts. So why should we want to be peacemakers? The first one is unresolved conflict hinders our fellowship with God. The Bible says that we cannot have close fellowship with God. We cannot be uh, in the fellowship that God has called us to with himself if we are at odds with others. You know the passage, 1 John 4, two verses that really kind of slap us in the face as human beings. But listen to what 
the Apostle John writes, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. <laughs> God doesn't you know, withhold much. He, he just lays it out there on the line. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. We are called to be in fellowship with one another because we have been called to be in fellowship with God because of what God has done through Jesus Christ, because we are reconciled to him. It's important for us to be reconciled to one another. And so unresolved conflict, I will tell you folks, will hinder your fellowship with God. Secondly, unresolved conflict hinders our prayers. Now, the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7, that if we do not treat our wives rightly, that our prayers may not be heard. Now, I will tell you, ladies, that that works the other side, too. Uh, I'm sure Peter, you know, meant it the other way also. Um, but the, the issue here is, look, if we are at odds with someone, it's going to be hard for us to, to focus on God, that fellowship with God. And God wants us in that fellowship that would be whole and right. And so unresolved conflict is going to hinder our prayers. Later on in the Sermon in the Mount, even in this chapter, Jesus um, talks about bringing your gift to the altar. And he says, if you come with a gift to the altar and you remember that you have uh, a wrong with a brother or a sister, leave your gift and go and take care of that before you come and offer the gift to me. And so first go and be reconciled with your brother or your sister. There's a third reason, I think, that unresolved conflict hinders, and that is our worship. When we come into worship and you have on your heart a conflict with someone that you are dealing with, it could be at home, it could be at work, it could be a family member or a neighbor, it could be someone within the church. If, if you are focusing, if you have that relationship that is broken, I will tell you it will hinder your worship because your focus will be on that particular conflict, on that person instead of worship, instead of God. And we need to learn as peacemakers to resolve the conflict so that in our homes, our workplaces, in our churches, anywhere, that we are in right relationship with God and with one another. As I said, that does not mean that you agree with everyone's lifestyle or you condone a particular sin in any way. You're going to stand for truth in all ways at all times, according to God's scripture. But we are called to be peacemakers. And so, how can we do this? I want to use uh, an acronym, or I want to use the word peace, and I want to look at using the first letter, or the letters of the word peace, as the first letters 
of how we can become peacemakers. Maybe if you jot them down or have them in your mind, maybe it will help you uh, as you leave today to think, okay, that is something that I can do, a tangible thing that I can use in conflict. And the first is the P, plan. In Matthew 5.24, Jesus says, Go and be reconciled to that person. There is activity involved. He is telling us, don't sit back. You initiate. You be active in taking care of that. Don't wait on someone else to take care of it. If you know that there is conflict, move. Whether you're the offender or offended, Please, he says. So we are actively causing, trying to develop a strategy, a plan on how to reconcile. Now, don't let it linger. The longer that we let it linger, the bigger it will be. The longer we wait, the more difficult it will be to resolve. I will tell you I have experienced that. Putting off, resolving conflict with someone is not the thing to do because it will become more difficult to resolve that issue or that problem with them the longer you wait. Have a plan. Secondly, the E, emphasize or empathize with the others that that person that you have the conflict with. Philippians 2.4 says, Do not merely look on your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. If you have um, another version from mine, it will say, Consider other people's interest. And so having empathy for someone, stepping in and understanding in our mind, our heart, where they are coming from, maybe how they view it will help us understand why there was conflict in the first place. And so sometimes we need to put ourselves maybe in their shoes, walk a mile in their shoes, put ourselves in their position to see why things happen the way they did. The Greek word for consider means scope. It's an interesting word. It means to focus or to pay attention. It means to hone in on And in this case, hone in on the needs of others. In other words, it would be like if you're a hunter having a scope. And that scope allows you to hone in on what's further away from you so that you can see it more clearly. And so when Jesus, when the scripture says, consider other people's interests, hone in on it. Look at it. Pay attention to it. Because there's a reason that they are saying or doing or believing what they are doing. And you need to get an understanding of that so that you can clear it up. So often we we get upset because we are the ones that have been hurt. And we know that, you know, hurt hurts. It hurts when someone tries to either destroy you or uh, causes conflict in your life. And so we need to focus, have empathy, try to have understanding so that we can come to a resolution. The A, 
attack the problem. Attack the problem, not the person. Too often what we do is attack the person, and that's wrong. We don't need to attack the person. We need to try to look at the issues that are before us, and we need to try to attack the problem to bring reconciliation and resolution. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. We are to engage our mind and heart before we engage our mouth. Ephesians 4.29 Dave's teaching on Ephesians on Wednesday night and uh, thoroughly enjoying the study in the fourth chapter Paul says, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. So attack the problem, not the person. The C, as much as possible, Cooperate. Cooperate as much as possible. Build those bridges. Don't lob in a bomb to try to throw or, or blow up that conflict. As much as possible, try to work together to see how you can at least alleviate the conflict in reconciliation. When we were doing Romans uh, just a few months ago, as we were going through Romans, we got to the 12th chapter, the 18th verse, And Paul says, if it is possible, it's a big if, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, because you can't control someone else, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So this points back to us, points back to me individually. What am I doing to live at peace with one another? Am I cooperating as much as possible to make sure, if it depends on me, that there is peace and reconciliation? I will tell you that peace has a price, though. It has a price for all of us to pay. If we want peace in our homes, if we want peace in our marriages, if we want peace in the church, then pride has to go. Ego has to go. Self-centeredness has to go. Our selfishness has to go. The most difficult words, it seems, in the English language is, I was wrong. None of us like to say that. Probably the two most are, I'm sorry. If you put uh, them together and add a couple of more, I'm sorry, I was wrong a lot. Um, I think I tend to say that to Terry. I was wrong, I'm sorry, (laughs) and I tend to do that a lot. I need to do better at that. Those of you that are of my uh, age, uh, you probably remember Love Story. There's a line in Love Story, and I remember when I even heard that, um, I thought, dang. Really? That line is, love never means or means having to say that you're sorry. Well, I'm not sure that that is actually factual. 
because whether accidentally or intentionally, for whatever reason, in our human state, we hurt other people. And folks, it's just not good. It's not right. The brother of Jesus, James, in the third chapter, in verse 17, says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. And then it is peace-loving. It is considerate. It is submissive, full of mercy and fruit, impartial and sincere. And so when we live as peacemakers, we plant seeds of peace. We plant seeds of peace. And when we plant those seeds of peace, the scriptures remind us that we will reap a harvest that is good, that is right in the eyes of the Lord. If we want to be people to cooperate with, one, with each other, we need to have the spirit of truth, the spirit of cooperation within us. If we are nice to people, there's a better chance they might be nice to us. Takes two to tango. You can't always make people act the way they should. But we can reap a good harvest when we do things the right way. And finally, the last E is emphasize reconciliation, not just resolution. So often we want to get this resolved and just move on. Just, just move on and get done with it. When God calls us to be reconciled to one another, not just resolve the issue. And so we need to be careful about that. Now, there's always going to be differences. Uh, we know that you put two people in a room, and likely that there's going to be some differences in understanding and especially opinions. Um, you can take um, man and wife, two women, or two men and uh, uh, two women, and it's been said that the average, listen to this, the average man speaks 1,500 words in a day. The average woman speaks 2,700 words in a day. So, ladies, when it appears that we're not listening, 1,200 words just flew over our head. We didn't get it. It's no excuse, men. That's what you're going to hear on the way home. That's no excuse. There's differences. We know that we have differences, but that does not excuse us from trying to be reconciled and uh, not just resolve the problem. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds, will reap the harvest of goodness. The principle for peace is the same principle as it is with crops. When you plant crops and you do it the right way, when things are watered and when things are fertilized and when things are uh, used by God in the right way, there is a great harvest that can take place when God is a part of it. There's a story of uh, a young man named Hines. Um, probably makes a good example of trying to think about reconciliation over resolution. In uh, Europe in 1934, we know that Hitler was, uh, his troops were going throughout Europe, 
and uh, infecting the, the continent. And this 11-year-old young boy, uh, Heinz, he lived in a Bavarian vi village. And often as he would walk the streets or going to school or going to the market, he would see uh, some of the hoodlums that Hitler had, some other young people his age that were buying into what Hitler was exposing and doing. And so often he would just cross across the street and try to, to walk down and, and not you know, be encountered with these uh, bullies. And so, you know, tension would mount at times, and often he said that he was not able to avoid the troublemakers. And so there were times when fights would happen on the streets. One day, he says in his journal, in 1934, a pivotal conf confrontation occurred he said he was face-to-face -face with a bully of Hitler's regime, and he said he thought that the fight was inevitable, but it never took place. And here's why. He convinced the troublemaker that the fight was not necessary. He used words to avoid the battle and to keep the battle at bay. Heinz said that this was the first time that he realized that his tongue could create peace. He learned using words could avoid conflict. Now, we know that Hitler continued to uh, raid and cause havoc in, in Europe, and fortunately, Heinz and his family made it to America and um, he grew up, and his legacy became one of a bridge builder. He realized that words, again, could bring about peace. No, never underestimate the power of a seed. Because you see, we know him by his Anglican name, Henry, Henry Kissinger. And he's known to be a reconciler, a peacemaker, by words, by words. The word reconciler has a synonym, and that is peacemaker. And so if we are going to be reconcilers, we are going to be about what Jesus is saying here. We're going to be peacemakers. We're going to live Together, we're going to try our best to be a, in a ministry of peacemaking. But I will tell you that a peacemaker has to have God inside. The Holy Spirit has to be a part of this relationship. We have to stop thinking that we have the ability to do this on our own. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us that we can draw on to use in peacemaking. Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. 
I want to read that again. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts since as members of one body, as believers of the body of Christ, we are called to peace. The Greek word for rule, it's an interesting word. It it means um, the same word that we get our word umpire from. So I was thinking about that as I was looking at that. And so when Jesus comes into our heart and when we, we have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and the Holy Spirit is in us, it, it's almost like when we say something wrong, Jesus says, out of bounds. Uh, uh, what? Stop. Or when we say this good thing and we are encouraging and uplifting, he says, fair ball, go for it. It's that umpire inside of us that will call us out on one side, but lift us up on the other and encourage us in that good thing. Now, many people think that, oh, I can live in peace. I'm living in peace, but really it's just a ceasefire. I think too often we as Christians sometimes just distance ourselves from conflict. We distance ourselves Uh, from the things that are going on and so we just consider it a ceasefire I'm not going to participate in that at this point I'm not going to to have any part of that in any way but the Bible calls us calls us to reconcile even to our enemies if there is any unconfessed sin if there is any unconfessed thing in our life it's going to affect how we live in peace with God and one another. It's going to affect whether there is a gain or a loss in our walk with Christ. So Jesus, in this moment, in this sermon, blessed are the peacemakers, and then he gives us this promise, for they shall be called sons of God. They shall be called sons of God. We as peacemakers live into this mantra of part of the family. It's not just children of God, but that this phrase reminds us that there's a title bestowed upon upon us. that, That we are part of this family. We have an inheritance that we have. There's a special relationship that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We have a name. We have been recognized by the Father through Jesus. He sees us through the lens of his Son as righteous and holy, true sons and daughters. It's kind of like this. When I go home back to Tabor City where I was raised, uh, especially to the community in which I was raised in, someone will see me and they will say, Oh, you're Jack's son. And I'll say, yes. And I will tell you, as I've gotten older, that means more to me. The fact that I'm identified as Jack DeFell's son. But even more is when I read scripture, and especially as I read the New Testament, and God tells me that I'm part of his family. That I'm his 
and there's nothing can snatch me out of his hand. There's nothing that can bring divide, and he wants me to live as a peacemaker. In other words, he wants me to be happy, approved in all things. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How's your family resemblance to the Heavenly Father? Is there conflict in your life? Unresolved? Are you actively about peacemaking? I pray so. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this call on our life. We live in a world that is divided at all places in so many ways. We don't have to just look at Washington. We can look in our own families where there's divide politically or in other ways, uh, morally, uh, in our understanding of your morality that you have called us to. Father, there is divide and conflict everywhere. This is a message that we need to hear today, that we need to understand that you have called us to be peacemakers, resolve that conflict, reconcile not only to you in our relationship, because if we don't, it's going to be a hindrance there. But Father, you have called us to reconcile to one another. So Father, I pray that we would examine ourselves. Are there things that we need to set aside pride, ego, self-centeredness, hurt. Father, maybe we need to look at the other person's place, understanding, so that there can be reconciliation and resolve. Father, make us peacemakers through your Holy Spirit. Prick our hearts to be righteous for you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.